I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. You're supposed to be depressed during the wintertime. You're really not supposed to be depressed during the spring. But I, I just felt a really strong urge a little bit ago, and I, I seen God let me see how you're, you're seeing right now. Some of y'all, if the shoe fits, wear it. You don't have to raise your hands. But you have for a while, you feel like you're in a dark tunnel. You feel like there's just a trickle of light. Every day and every now and then, you, there's a little bit of feeling of happiness. And you're grasping at everything inside of you to try to find happiness and try to find relief from your depressed, from depression or whatever it is. But you for so long, you have looked everywhere else besides that the one that can give it to you. For a long time, you have looked into things that you think is going to make you happy. But can I tell you tonight that it's the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to get you through this. Tonight, I... I'm just going to be really honest with you. I know what David feels like when he walked into, a, into the valley and facing Goliath. I'm not one to, to get up here without any notes, but I, I come to church tonight. I had eight pages of notes, and again, for some reason, I do not think it's luck or bad luck or bad fortune. I believe that God sometimes likes to push me out of my comfort zone, out of my nest. He, but also, I, he changed not changed my mind of what God wanted, and this is what God you're going to get. I may go ten minutes, I may go twenty, I may go thirty or forty, and the Lord anoints me. We may you may feel like Eutychus in the window, like you're falling asleep. As long if you fall out or fall, just fall inside and don't fall out, will you? That's an inside joke. You got to read that story. To, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of John, chapter 14. I want to thank this church for being an easy church to preach to. I want to thank this church. I've, I've preached out enough to churches that not all churches are easy to preach to. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. You know what I'm talking about. If any of your preachers ever preach at a nursing home, you get a really good taste of what I'm talking about. And some of the churches that I've been preached is not much better, probably worse than some of the nursing homes that I've preached in. But this church is an absolutely incredible church to preach to. I appreciate you very much, very much. John 14... I want to start by, uh, let's see, this is, let's just start with ch- uh, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, ye know and the way you know. And right here, Thomas, he gets a bit excited. He's, he's kind of jumping the gun. He's, Jesus gets done telling him that he has a place for him. 
prepared, that He's going to prepare. It's going to be a, a place beyond anything that He's ever seen. It's going to be, you know, He went on to explain later on, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither had it entered in the heart of man what He's got prepared. There's going to be a place that you're going to go to. It's going to be a wonderful place, a place of splendor. Revelations talked about it when he said there's not going to be any more tears. I'm going to wipe away the tears. There's not going to be any more death. The former things are passed away. And Thomas, he, he anticipates that. He saith unto him, he said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? I, I've got to get to this place. I need to know how to get there. This place that you talk of, it sounds wonderful. And Jesus he kind of brings him to earth for a moment. And he says, and Jesus saith unto him, He said, I am the way. That's all you've got to know. He didn't give him a time frame in which he was going to be going to this place. But he let him know that right off. He said, I want to let you know something. That I am the way. And there is possibly going to be people that come into your life to try to lure you away from that way and try to keep you from going to the place that I just described. But I want to let you know first and foremost that I am the way. That Muhammad will not be the way. That the name of Jesus is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and are saved. And if you ever want to get to the destination in which I prepared for you, you have got to go the way. And that is the way of Jesus. Can I tell you tonight, listen, there, I've heard it over and over. You, you may be seated. I've heard it over and over that there's many different ways to God. I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Uh, uh, but we all can believe in one God. And as long as we all go to church and we try to strive to get to heaven, it doesn't matter if you call Him uh, Muhammad. It doesn't matter if you call Him Jesus. We're trying to get to the way to heaven. But what, what Jesus had talked about here, Jesus had said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am it. I am the door. If any man tries to enter in any other way, he is a thief and a liar. Can I tell you tonight, if you're trying to get to heaven and you don't go the way of Jesus, you're going to be sadly missed it. Jesus Christ is the only answer to this world's problems. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only healer. Jesus Christ is the only redeemer. Jesus, I'm going to preach it until you get with me. Jesus Christ is the only access to the throne room. If you want to get to heaven after you die, after you exit this world, Jesus Christ is the only way. If you want to get baptized, Jesus' name is the only way to do it. The Bible says that there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Any other way, any other way, you can't make it to heaven believing in three gods. 
Jesus is the only way. A while back, I uh, was sitting with a friend of mine. I'll just tell you, he's a friend of mine, Lyle Brighton. He's 95 years old. I uh, absolutely thank the world of this man. Him and I have become very close. A lot of folks here in this church know him. He lives in Gosport, Indiana. And I, uh, 17 and a half years ago, uh, moved to Gosport, Indiana. If you would have told me and showed me on the map before uh, I, went, I moved to Gosport, Indiana, I, 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 you know, it's a no-name place. It's a Mayberry town. Mayberry is the city compared to Gosport. If you've never, uh, if, if you've never been to Gosport, uh, it's, it's, you know, they have, they have one small bank. They have a little place. It looks like a house. It's a dentist office. Uh, Gosport is just, it, it doesn't have a stoplight. And the stop sign, it's so, jag, so jagged up and cut up. It's such a redneck type of town. Now, I live, I have a Gosport address, but I don't live inside Gosport itself. But he was telling me, began to share with me, the history of Gosport. And I'm going to be really truthfully honest with you. I, I wasn't that enamored to find out about Gosport because Gosport is not a very glamorous place to live. How many of you been to Gosport? So you know what I'm talking about. It's not such a... It's, it's not a it doesn't look like Vegas, I'll tell you that. And he was told, telling, began to tell me about Gosport and began to give me facts. And I'm not trying to bore you tonight. And I have a destination. I've got, I've got a place I'm getting ready to go to here in a little bit. But just bear with me. He began to share with me about the history of Gosport. Joseph Goss, G-O-S-S. He was from uh, somewhere in the Carolinas. And he, he began to migrate this way towards Indiana, and he got to a certain river, and he, he uh, was a slave owner, he, and he, he was a, a good man, he, he, uh, he got to the river, and he said, I, I am going to do the right thing, and he let all his slaves go. And there was one black lady that she loved his family, she was part of Joseph Goss's family, she begged him, she said, I want to stay with you and your family, your family is my family, your kids or my kids, I, 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 I've been with you for so long. And he allowed her to come to, Gos, to Gosport now. Uh, then it was just a territory place. It had no name. And she came here, and you can go to the cemetery on the north end of town. And Joseph Goss and all his children and his family are buried there along the side of that slave lady that he, he had. And... But Gosport, it began, it was, it was an incredible place because it was strategically located. It was located, the river runs from Indianapolis down through Gosport. And not only that, most of the way, there, uh, there's a train track that runs parallel to the river. And when they established that town, he did it with the mindset that, I know one day that, that we can build this place into something. Gosport sets on a hill. It never, Gosport itself never floods. If, if you know anything about trying to get through Gosport when it rains, 
the county line shuts down, the bottom shuts down. There's no access into Gosport except for a couple bridges and some roads that, uh, are, uh, that the state had built up so they could have access to, that, to Gosport. He said Gosport began to grow because it was located there. And at one time, if you study your history, I, I, I didn't believe it. I got online and I looked. At one time, Gosport was such a booming place that they considered Gosport to be the home of Indiana University. And I, I blew my mind. That opened, I op- began to open my ears and start to listen to him. And he said, Gosport grew to the point at one time in the early 50s that it ended up having six major industrialized factories. It had four... Uh, four uh, hotels. It had seven fueling stations. It had four grocery stores. It was a place that people wanted to come to, and it was a thriving town. He he began to describe that uh, how much business would flow in and flow out of Gosport, thousands and thousands of dollars back. In early days, it was a lot of money, but in the 50s, millions of dollars flowed in and flowed out of Gosport. And there, if you go down into Gosport, you'll, you'll find a rema- the remains of a bridge that goes out of the north part of town. If you've ever, have you, has anybody ever seen the remains of that bridge? Brother Gillespie probably knows a lot what I'm talking about tonight. He said that that bridge, it was a covered bridge. I, I downloaded a picture tonight of my phone just to show Lyle that picture. It was a covered bridge. And in 1950, around 1956, that bridge it started to uh, decay. The top of it began to fall in. And because the top began to fall in, it would leak down and become very treacherous. And it needed fixed. And one of the board members came to the mayor in 1956. He comes to the mayor. And the mayor at that time, he had the money. He carried a lot of weight in the town. He was very political. And Lyle said, he, I was sitting in the room when that man walks in. He said, Mr. Mayor, he said, you, have you been and you really looked at the bridge lately? He said, I haven't. He said, I know it's in bad condition. He said, I'm asking you that we take our money and we put our heads together and we fix that bridge. The mayor looked at that man and he said, it's a waste of money. He said, that bridge is old and decrepit. He said, and we could spend our money elsewhere. We would find a better use for it if we put it in our school or whatever they had. And that man, Lyle, told me, he said, that man had tears in his eyes. And he pounded on that man's desk. He said, Mayor, if you don't fix that bridge, he said, this town will die. And that day forward, he said that they decided not to fix that bridge. He, and the man that left that place, he went home and he was disgusted about it because he knew good and well that that bridge was access to what was good that flowed in and what 
flowed out was because of that bridge. And without it, that that town would die. So they went home and they began to talk amongst themselves. And there were some boys, some teenage boys that, uh, they weren't bad, bad boys. They just were kind of like me when I was growing up, playing pranks and silly stuff. And they got together and they heard the moms and dads talking about that bridge and how the, the mayor decided that he wasn't going to fix it. So they got together and they laughed. And they said, well, you know what? If he's not going to fix it, we'll set fire to it. Just for a joke. So one night, Lyle, he was, Lyle told me he was a volunteer fireman. And he said that those boys went and set a fire on that bridge. And that night they caught it in time. They went and put it out. And the next night, those boys went back out there and they set eight different fires across that covered bridge. And he said, luckily, he said, I was not there. He said, I was in the hospital with my oldest son. He was getting his tonsils taken out. And he said, I was at the hospital with him. He said, but by the time my friends got to that bridge, he said, it was so bad. He said, it began to creak and it began to crack. He said, and it began to fall in. I forget how many, maybe 10 to 12, 13 volunteer firemen fell off of that bridge. And the boy, one of the men that was, uh, he had a, a two little kids, I think he said. He said, the last time I saw that man was two days before that fire was set. He had a two-year-old daughter that was walking with him in the yard, he said. And that night he fell off of that bridge and that bridge fell on him and they tried with everything they could do to get him out. But the weight of that bridge was on him and they watched him die. He said, because that bridge was burnt, he said, and they refused to fix it. And they refused to rebuild it. He said, Gosport died. He said, a town that one time had great potential, great industry, millions of dollars flowed in and out. He said, I watched men drive up with trucks and they seen that the bridge was gone. And they shook their heads and they got in their trucks and they never came back to Gosport. He said, and Adam, that is exactly why that Gosport has dwindled down to nothing. He said, all because of a bridge that was taken away. The bridge served as access to bring in things and goods and commodities into Gosport to build it. And after they built the good things, they would send it out and they would supply other people with supplies, whatever they made. There was a tent and tarp, uh, tarp factory. There was all kinds of places. And because... The access was taken away. A town that once sat on a hill and that served as a power place in the state of Indiana, it died. Can I tell you tonight that the access into our lives that makes us any kind of good or serves any kind of good in our life 
is the bridge and His name is Jesus Christ. That's the only way that I ever had any good. It's because Jesus Christ is the bridge and He serves graciousness in my life. He has given me mercy. He has given me access to His throne. He has given me access into a world that I didn't know. Before He came, there was no access to the spiritual world. The bridge serves as access and it connects two worlds. Before Jesus ever came, there was no access between the spiritual world and the carnal world. God spoke through men and periodically here and there and gave men words. But men could never feel Him. They could never feel forgiveness. They could never find redemption. They could never have any kind of peace or any kind of of rest in their minds when they had trouble. Why? Because there was no access between the spiritual world. And that's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus' purpose was. To give us a bridge into two worlds. Because there was no way for me to get to God. And so He had to come as a man in a physical way. He said, I come to you to give you life and that you may have life more abundantly. That was the bridge that, that, was, that was put between the two worlds. That's why Jesus came, was to give us access. And the sad part is that in this last day, the bridge that has blessed America, the bridge that has made America what they are when they ran from, from the Catholic Church in the old country, they began to build the bridge of Jesus Christ. They served Jesus. And that was the reason why we were so blessed was because we had access to the throne room. When we needed answers as, as presidents and, and congressmen, when they had trouble, they would go to the bridge and they would begin to call on the name of Jesus. We've had presidents in my lifetime. Ronald Reagan, he prayed. I don't know what, what kind of a political uh, uh, Republican, Democrat, that's, I'm not here to get into that. But I do remember a president that prayed and he prayed in Jesus' name. I remember not... Not too long ago, we had a president that would pray in Jesus' name. And it's come down to this, that we come and we marched into the mayor's office. And we're begging the mayor, if you take the bridge down, you'll, you'll burn this country down. If you take away the access, we will lose our blessings. We won't be able to find any kind of peace if you take it away. If you take prayer out of the schools, we'll never find any more blessings and that's what this United States has done they have taken away the bridge they have taken away the access and it's the bridge that allows us to be poured into it's because of Jesus Christ that we're anything I'm going to tell you something brother Horton I am a no good absolute dog I am a sinner. You say, don't be too hard on this. Paul, the chiefest of all sinners, he was the greatest preacher that ever walked on this earth. And he stood up and he said, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. The only reason that I'm anything is because there's a bridge that Jesus built in my life. 
I was a killer of Christians. I was the worst of the worst. But it was because I had a bridge built in my life. And so I'm here to tell you today, tonight, that I am nothing without that bridge. I can't give anything. I can't receive anything without that bridge. And I'm going to tell you something. If we go and we start messing around with that bridge, we're going to lose our blessings. If we go and start tearing things down now that somebody built, somebody before us, that paved the way in order for us to get blessed, if we start messing with that, we are going to suffer. We are going to die. I don't care if you've been built on a hill. I don't care how much you've got. You will never be able to have access to the outside world if you tear the bridge down. If you start messing with Jesus' name. If you start taking away from our doctrines, you're, you're, you're taking away the bridge. If you start taking away holiness, you're going to take away access to the throne room. We cannot afford to start messing with things that God has put in our lives. We, you, you, you're not hearing me. We cannot afford to start doing things different. I get so sick and tired of the New Age, this, what they call the New Age church. I'm sick of it up to here, Brother Horton. I'm over it. You get mad all you want to. And if you're a visitor, I'll come back and hug you and shake your hand if you like. I don't need Joel Osteen to tell me how to get to heaven. When he goes on Oprah Winfrey and he says, well, it really doesn't matter how you get to heaven. It doesn't matter what you call him. It really doesn't matter how you're baptized. It really doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said he was the way and the truth and the life. He built that bridge because that was our only way out of this world. How dare us to start tearing things down. We can't afford. Why they tear it down in the first place? Because it was convenient. It took some work to build that to build that bridge back up. It took some effort. It's going to take some. Uh, it's, it's going to take some work for us to maintain a relationship with between us and God. People don't want to. It's too. It's too much work. It cost too much. And it was convenient for them to say, let's just let it fall in. We'll, 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 we'll put our efforts towards other things. Come on. This church was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if it's removed off the foundation of Jesus Christ, it will falter. If you try to build your way to heaven any other way, you're going to fail. You're going to lose. 
The Bible says that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, which tells me there's one bridge. So you better maintain it. You better make sure that it stands there. You better make sure there's not going to be anybody going to burn it down. Look what happened. Because of the one in charge, the one that everybody looked to, the mayor, he said, I don't care about it. And those words were the ones that prompted somebody else that one time would have cared. You're not hearing me. Because a man said, we don't need to do anything with it. Some boy said, well, if he don't care, I don't care. Can I tell you something, parents? When we stop caring about the foundational doctrine of this apostolic church, there's going to be kids walking and saying, if dad and mom don't care, we don't care anyway. That's why there's more people walking out of the church and throwing away standards and throwing away God-given things because there's people throwing the towel and saying, I don't care. It's time for the people that matter the most, the ones that's got the voice in the, in the church, to say, I care. Let's fix it. Let's mend the bridge. Hallelujah. 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 And I'm doing this with no notes. That's all right. Thank you, sir. I was born and raised in this thing. I slept under the pew. You've heard the story before. I love this thing. I love this church. I failed many times. But I love this church. I love this apostolic doctrine. I was raised, I went to a Christian school. I started out in a Christian school when I was in the kindergarten. I went to third till I was in third grade. And there was about 80 of those kids. And brother, I can count on one hand. One hand of kids in that school out of 80 kids that are still in church. Oh, the Facebook just absolutely eats me up when I see it. We got kids that once believed in this apostolic doctrine. They're whatever they believe in, Hira Krishna, whatever. Some of them are atheists. Some of them don't even believe that Jesus Christ ever existed or maybe He was just a man or there really isn't a God and, or they believe the Trinitarian or whatever they believe. These were apostolic children. These were preacher's kids. And I can get on my Facebook and, and count probably 800 kids that went through that Christian school since that beginning. And there's probably 750 that, that are out of church. And I'm going to tell you why a lot of them are out of church. Not all of them. But because somebody that mattered in their life decided that it wasn't important to mend a bridge. And 
they said, if they don't care, I don't care about it. And all of a sudden, they're somewhere in the gutter somewhere, an alcoholic or on drugs or, or, or backslid somewhere. I'm going to tell you something. The most important thing that we could ever do in our life is to mend the bridge or mend the relationship between us and Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have the good. That bridge didn't just serve. That bridge wasn't just there for them to get. That bridge, that town was not just successful because they kept getting, but there was things going out. What I'm trying to tell you is this, that Gosport wasn't great because it always got. Gosport became great because it had the ability to give. And because it lost its access to get, it lost its ability to give. And see, we've grown in the mentality that we've constantly got to get, but it's just as important to give than it is to get. And some of you that I'm talking to earlier about being depressed and broken, you've lost your worth. You've lost it. You don't feel like you have anything to offer anybody. You don't feel God like you used to. Matter of fact, you question whether you love Him like you used to. You try to. But can I tell you where it all started? It started at the bridge. Because you lost the ability to receive, you lost your worth, which is the ability to give. And just because you've been built on a hill doesn't mean you're going to survive. And you're like sitting in a pew in a dying state because you've refused to maintain a relationship between you and Jesus. But God is calling you tonight to go back to your first love and do your first works over. All it takes is to go back. You can go down any day to that bridge. I know I'm jumping around, but that's all right. I'm, I'm getting ready to end. And we're getting ready to pray to God and we're getting ready to touch the throne room. But you can go to that bridge right now and there's remnants of that bridge. Okay, it was burnt. Okay, somebody didn't care. But it was the wooden part that collapsed. But in all the time, listen to me, you can go there and look at it. The foundation of that bridge is still across the water. What I'm trying to say is, yes, they burn it, and there was damage done to it, but they could have went back. It wasn't too late for them to build a bridge back. See what the devil does. He lets you look at the rubble and says it's too late. 
You've already burned it. There's already been lives that have fallen to it. There's so much you've lost. And there's so much that you haven't given. But there's, it's too late. That's what the enemy wants you to think. But tonight I'm trying to tell you that the foundation is still there. There's still a bridge that can be built in your life. You can still have access. You can't run too far from him. There's still an answer. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, I wonder how many people have walked out of our churches because we've led them to believe that the bridge was not buildable. Or you couldn't really build it back because you've done too much. There's too much that you've done. You've lost access to your, your, to, to your, your God. You've done too much. You can't, I wonder how many people we've thrown to the wolves because we've led them to believe that they've gone too far. One of the biggest problems in Pentecost is that we rate sin. You can, you can let your husband listen to this. He can whoop me later, but I'm, I'll say it because I feel the anointing. I'm going to tell you something. We're so quick to throw out the girl that got pregnant in the backseat of a car. And we let the things go like the, the backbiting and the hurtful things that people say. We start rating sins. I wonder how many people that we did not forgive or we laughed about and talked about behind their back after they failed and they thought, there's no way that I can build that bridge. Let's stop rating sin. Hey, we've all sinned. We've all been failures. We need to just let people be people and let God do the work in their life. That's what I'm trying to do tonight. I'm trying to help you to build a bridge. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you've done in your life. There is still a bridge that you can build. Look at the apostles, Peter and, 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 and Judas. Two men just set fire to the bridge. They set fire and they destroyed access to the relationship between them and Jesus. We always dog Judas. How many people know anybody in here that knows anybody by the name of Judas. He's gotten a bad rap his whole life. All throughout history, ever since he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. We're ready to throw him out to the dogs because he's the one. Every Easter morning, somewhere in the, in the churches, somebody's given Judas a bad name. Yeah, he failed. But so did Peter. And what was the difference between their failure? One was a betrayer and one was a traitor. And the so-called church would say, well, Peter was better off because he preached the greatest message that was ever preached in the day of Pentecost. Fifty days later, after he burned a bridge, Judas was a traitor. Sure, he traded Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But what was the difference between the traitor and the betrayal? There was absolutely nothing. 
I've heard people say, well, one, one was premeditated and the other wasn't. They both were failures. And they both burnt their bridge. Self-righteous people say, well, let's just kick Judas out. Because he's a dog. He's a traitor. We begin to rate their sins. The difference here is the difference between them. Judas walks to the edge of the water. And he sees a bridge that was built and given to him. He Did he deserve it? No, he didn't. And he's seen the remnants of it. And he said, I'm unfixable. I can't build it back. It's too great. There's rubble. I can't. It's too, too much. And Peter, he sees it, his bridge. And he begins, he has a different view on it. And begins to remember the words of a master that says, listen. When he asked him, he said, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Jesus tells him, Seven times seventy. Are you kidding me? Seven times seventy. How many times? That wasn't for different sins. That was for the same sin. You're supposed to forgive him seven times seventy. And I like to believe that when he stood there at the river and he looked at the rubble and he said, Yeah, I betrayed him. I did it three times, and my bridge is laying there, and I can't get across right now. But I know that if Jesus expected me to forgive my brother seven times seventy, how much more grace and how much more mercy would he have on me? He wouldn't expect me to forgive that many times if he wasn't more than ready to forgive me because I know the mercy and the grace of Jesus is greater than any man. And if he would expect me to forgive my brother seven times seventy, maybe there's just a glimmer of hope for me. And I could just picture Peter jumping off into the water. And he starts building a bridge. Was it an easy task? No. He kept reflecting in the water of, a past fails, of his past failure. And he kept looking at himself. But that's what kept him going on. was because he knew Jesus would forgive him. And only 50 days later, he was allowed to go and preach, repent. Most of us would say, well, we've got to make him sit for, for a while in the pew. I, I know about all that, and I know about... We need to start helping people build bridges. Their souls. I don't care what they've done to you. Their souls. They burnt bridges. Don't tell me that you've never built, you've never burned a bridge in your life. And by the grace of God, He stood by and helped you build your bridge back. Don't tell me that you can't help somebody build their bridge back. Don't tell me that you can't forgive somebody. Problem is having a note, you don't know where to stop. But I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let everybody stand.
God is here tonight to take the remnants of your bridge. And once upon a time life that you had the ability to give and receive, and you had a worth. Now you're facing a bridge that looks, it doesn't look like you can do anything with. God is here tonight to help you to start piecing it back together. Why? Because if you don't build your relationship back with Him, you will lose your way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Come on. I wonder how many of you see shattered bridges with every eye closed. Come on. How many times have you walked to the river? And you've seen the mess of, of a mess that you made, whatever. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe the devil came down and tore your bridge. Maybe he should have picked Bartholomew. 